you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The ChrisVossShow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly, certainly, certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to see the video version of this. They have this video thing now. It's really cool. I know the podcast is all audio, all of our syndicates, but you know what? You can watch video too. So what you do is you type in YouTube.com for us, Chris Voss. There's this new technology over there. You can watch the video of it, and uh, I think it goes up to 1080p. So so you can watch it. It's technology like you've never seen before. Go to there, hit the bell notification, click the button, and you can enjoy all that good stuff and uh, everything else. Uh, be sure to take a look at uh, what's coming up on the Chris Voss Show. We just booked Michael Ian Black. He's going to be on the show, the famous comedian. I'm sure you've uh, seen or heard him in movies and TV. He'll be on the show and a lot of other great authors coming up. You can go to goodreads.com for just Chris Voss. Follow me over there. We're building out a book club over there. And, of course, you can follow all the groups we have on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, also, go to thecvpn.com. See all nine podcasts there. You can refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives, dogs, cats. Get everyone to listen to the show. It's been pretty popular lately. I don't know why. It's probably all the brilliant, great uh, authors that we have on there. It has nothing to do with me. It's just really the brilliant authors we've had on the show lately. And it's been so much fun. You're going to learn so much. Your brain will get bigger. You'll get better looking. And uh, you might lose weight. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can lawyers let me say that, but you might lose weight. So anyway, check that out as well. Today we have a most topical, brilliant, uh, this guy has been to more law schools of, of, of top names than uh, you can imagine. He is a brilliant guy when it comes to uh, uh, the Constitutional Law and Treason. He's written a new book called On Treason, A Citizen's Guide to the Law. His name is Carlton F.W. Larson, and he is a Martin Luther King professor of law at the University of California, Davis School of Law, where he teaches American constitutional law and English and American legal history. He is a graduate of Harvard College and Yale Law School. He is one of the nation's leading authorities on the law of treason. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Carlton? Good. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's wonderful to have you. Uh, it's kind of t- topical. I mean, what, what made you want to write a book about uh, treason, I should ask? Well, I, I got into this subject a long time ago, actually 24 years ago now, back when I was in college, and I was studying history, and I got interested in treason during the American Revolution, so I ended up writing about that, and that kind of sparked my interest in the subject um, and kind of carried through, and so I ended up writing a book about uh, how treason played out during the Revolution, and um, as a result of that work and some other stuff I'd written about treason, um, people started calling me um, with questions about treason law. Uh, and they started calling in 2016 um, because of Donald Trump. Uh, and <laughs> that was during the campaign. And That's then after he was sworn in, I started getting more and more calls. And all of the calls, there is from reporters. These were from, you know, big papers, the Washington Post, New York Times, all, you know, all these people. And the question was, did the president of the United States commit treason? Mm. And you know, I never had that question before. 
um, not during Obama, not during George W. Bush, and here it was uh, as this question, because what if the president did seem so strange? Um, it's really and weird. That would start with Trump. That's I know, amazing. it's funny wow. how that, how that Let's happened. Get your, I mean, Let's get your plugs really quick so we can get people to check you out on the interwebs. And, uh, yeah, sure. Um, you go to my webpage, um, carltonlarson.com, um, or follow on Twitter uh, at uh, carltonfwlarson. There you go. So that's really funny that that you didn't you didn't uh, that no one called you like during Bush. I, I, I mean, even during Obama. I know. I remember the the GOP was you know running around burning effigies of of the poor gentleman. I voted for Obama. Full disclosure, uh, but but uh, you know that's really funny. You didn't really start getting those things until Trump. Um, so what? Give us an overview of the book. What's an overlay of it from a, a sky view, if you will? Yeah. So the, what the book since, um, tries to do is sort of explain the law of treason um, in a way that's accessible to non-lawyers. And um, the law is actually surprisingly technical and complicated. And the Supreme Court itself has said this is an area where intuitions are really not to be trusted because there's so many sort of subtleties and snares uh, in how the law actually plays out. So what I'm trying to do is explain it as clearly as I can while also being accurate and precise. Uh, as a lawyer, so that people who don't have, you know, all the time it takes to really dig into this can kind of get a basic overview of what the law looks like. Um, and then I pair that off with chapters about um, what I think are some of the most interesting treason cases throughout American history, uh, where we see how the law in action applied to particular cases or trials. How many treason uh, cases have there been across our history? I know there's, you know, uh, Benedict Arnold, I suppose. I don't even know if there was a case for that. Was yeah, it? I actually don't know. I mean, it's a very good question um, because you could ask, you know, why, you know how much is, how often has treason been committed? Um, you know, we don't know, right? Because you don't really know, say, during the American Revolution or during the Civil War, the full number of people who actually did things that technically were treason. Um, and then you can look at cases. Even there, we don't necessarily have an accurate count either. Um, partly because, you know, a lot of things are buried in, in court records. I, I looked at the revolution. I still can't tell you exactly how many cases went to trial uh, during the revolution. Um, since the U.S. Constitution was adopted, at least at the federal level, um, there have been fewer, fewer than 50 convictions, um, I think it's safe to say, uh, and only one person actually executed. Um, so yeah. it's not a crime um, that is actually prosecuted all that often. Who was, yeah, and, and they rewarded Bernard Arnold with naming some eggs after him. So uh, that didn't turn out <laughs> too well. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like a traitor every time I make Benedict Arnold uh, eggs. Uh, but <laughs> those actually are my favorite eggs. So I guess I'm treasonous uh, in an egg sort of way. Uh, I'm probably some, that probably makes me a uh, egg Nazi, if you will, to go back yeah, to Yeah, well, I guess Arnold was, Arnold was hatching something. It probably wasn't very good. There you go. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he went there. He wrote it. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, uh, who was the one person just for history sakes and for our audience who was, uh, who was executed over? So, so the one person is actually a really bizarre story. And I just discovered it last year. Every treason scholar previously had said no one had ever been executed. Uh, and it, it's a case out of the Mexican American war, um, where, um, American authorities, um, the military conquered New Mexico, which had been part of Mexico. Uh, and then on the ground, they declared that New Mexico is now part of the United States. Everybody living there was a U.S. citizen. And everybody who resisted um, was committing treason against the United States. Um, well, that was totally wrong. Um, New Mexico didn't become part of the United States until a year later after the treaty that ended the war. Mm. Uh, and so they, there were people who were continuing to resist. And so the American authorities then tried them. 
uh, for treason against the United States, and one of them uh, was actually executed. And what's interesting is that this trial was of a Mexican man. It took place on Mexican soil, and the person who was convicted had never set foot in the United States, and he owed no allegiance to the United States. And that is the one person um, who has been convicted as a traitor. Uh, under our constitution. So um, it's a very bizarre story. Yeah, yeah. 250 years of uh, history of treason law and stuff. And, uh, you know, it, the, the constitution is a really beautiful document because it's very simply written, and but it, it really thinks through a lot of different issues. But then, uh, of course, it's very simplistic in its nature. So there, I guess there's a lot of different things you can read off of it. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, one of the, the problems is, you know, so treason is defined in the Constitution as levying war against the United States or adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. Uh, and that's all it tells us. And so, you know, you can imagine lots of arguments about what counts um, as levying war against the United States or what counts as adhering to enemies. And so that's where, where courts have had spent quite a bit of time struggling um, over what precisely those words mean. And they're actually taken um, from an English statute from 1351. Uh, and so courts have tended to look at the English understanding of those words as well uh, in figuring out what they mean. Mm-hmm. And and so you wrote you, you wrote this book. People are coming to you going, "What about Donald Trump and and stuff like that?" What 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 sort of topics? I mean, I'm I, I know I'm riffing off of some of the obvious, but what sort of topics really motivated that? Were there any certain news items or any certain behaviors that Trump did that that triggered the trees and things? Yeah, that you I mean, started the, getting calls on. Sure. I mean, the primary thing seemed to be all of these links to Russia. Mm. Um, you know, the, the meeting at the Trump Tower was, was, was a big one, uh, where it looked like members of the Trump people had met with a, uh, a Russian agent. Uh, it looked like they were, you know, possibly propagating Russian uh, disinformation. Um, there was the incident in Helsinki, um, where Trump essentially disavowed our own American intelligence and said he took the word of Vladimir Putin. Um, on this, uh, the consistent denial of Russian interference in, in the election, even though that is, you know, um, you know thoroughly well documented, you know, even the Senate Republicans um, supported that. Um, so all of those things made people think, well, is this guy, if not maybe an actual Russian agent, is he a useful idiot for Russia? Or is he, uh, you know, in some way advancing Russian interests? Do they have something on him? Do they have financial hold on him? You know, what's, what's up with this guy? Because he seems like he's acting like Putin's puppy and not like, you know, an American president. Um, and so that's that's where the, the questions seem to almost uh, all uh, derive from. What does it What does it fit into then for you in your in your opinion, your legal opinion, and experience um, with treason and and everything else? Yeah, well, this is one of those areas where I think sort of common sense intuitions about treason are simply different uh, from what the law has held. Mm-hmm. Um, and the common sense would be an American president who's essentially acting as a Russian agent. Well, that must be treason. How could it not? I mean, you're, you're acting mm-hmm. for a foreign country. You're, you're putting their interests ahead of ours. Clearly, that must be treason. And in, clearly, in a colloquial sense, it's a, if true, it's a betrayal of the country. Um, but treason is defined very precisely. And the term enemy um, has always been understood to mean foreign nations or groups uh, with whom we are in a state of open war. Um, and so that means if we're not actually at war with Russia, then they aren't considered uh, oh. an enemy. Uh, and so technically it's not uh, treason. And so what the probably best example is when we think about the Rosenbergs back in the 1950s who were mm-hmm. executed um, for passing secrets to the Soviet Union, nuclear secrets. Um, well, those are some pretty bad people. They clearly betrayed the United States. In a colloquial sense, we could clearly say they're, they're traitors. Um, but because we weren't technically at war 
uh, with the Soviet Union. They oh. couldn't be prosecuted uh, for treason. Uh, and it's the same thing now. And so that means that, I mean, you could imagine the most egregious um, acts in favor of Russian interests, and it wouldn't be treason. And that's also true, you know, pick any other country, England or Canada or Israel or Italy or, um, you know, China. Um, if we're not technically at war with them, you know, things you do on their behalf um, are not treason. Now, they can usually be punished as something else, as espionage, as, you know, if you're an unregistered foreign agent or other types of crimes we can use to, to get at that type of uh, behavior. Uh, but it's not technically treason. Turn it. Turn it. Note to self. No. Uh, that's interesting to, to think about because I didn't understand the, the war concept that you have to be at war with another country. Um, I always thought that I, I just assume because clearly I didn't go to school for, for treason as you did, uh, or not school for treason, but school for law and <laughs> constitutional law. <laughs> he I don't think I'd be very treason. good at committing it. <laughs> <laughs> I took treason 101. Uh, so, uh, but that's interesting. You know, we had Peter Strzok on for his book Compromise, and he, you know, one of the stories he tells is them busting one of the big early busts, I think it was in the 90s, of of these Russians that came to America. You know, in the meantime, they're they're communicating with servers and basically servers and phones and and code back to Russia and, you know, telling him things. And, you know, you hear about the servers that were set up in the trunk organization that were this communicating information back and forth, the Lavrov with uh, his campaign manager who, uh, you know, they're sharing the data. Uh, even now, like I think uh, in the last couple of days, he's announced that they're going to, we're going to pull some more troops out and, and kind of do some more things that, are, look very much like Putin's handiwork, like Putin's still whispering and going, you know, we'd really like to have, we'd really like to have those uh, troops moved around and reduced so that uh, we can do whatever we want. We'd like to pull some more Ukraines. Um, and, uh, but I guess all of that stuff wouldn't equate to treason, which is quite astounding to me in my mind, but uh, there it is. I mean, you, you have the definition down of, we got to be at war with Russia, which, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think they're dumb enough to start a real war with us. Maybe it's a wonder cyber war doesn't fit into this as, as a, as an actual war. Cause that's what we're in now. There's, there's no, to my opinion, there's no third world war. It's, it's a cyber war. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, and it's, and it's war in a, you know, it's, it's a very different sense. Um, and I think like when you think about cyber warfare, you just kind of think about, well, what's, what's the analog equivalent to that. So mm -hmm. suppose they're messing around with our election servers or something like that. Um, well, does that mean they're at war with us? I mean, I don't think so. Um, because you may, the analog equivalent is they send some agent in and they go and stuff a ballot box. Yeah. Um, you know, would, would, that, would that in itself create a state of war with Russia? No, I don't think it would. I mean, sure, we could declare war on them as a result of that. Yeah. Um, but the, simply the sort of that tit for tat back and forth that intelligence agencies are doing, um, you know, I don't think in itself creates a state of war. Um, you know, I suspect that we're not a hundred percent innocent in terms of what we're doing with respect to Russia uh, as well. I suspect there are probably some covert responses that we're not aware of, uh, but I don't think any of those things add up to, you know, an actual state of war. Um, and the other problem is that, you know, if it did, you know, people need to know. Yeah. Right. Because think Russia, if Russia is an enemy um, and you're doing, you're entering into a deal with Russia that might help their military, then you've committed treason. You know, and so one of the advantages of this open war standard, even if it sometimes seems a little weird, uh, is that it puts people on notice. Here's who you can't help, right? And at a certain point, Russia is, is off limits, right? Because they're clearly now an enemy. Um, but if it's some vague thing where we don't know, um, then it's, it's, it's much more problematic.
And you would probably know this better than anybody. Uh, so I'm asking the question. Uh, I mean, there, there, there technically is an official standard declaration of war where Congress or the president are in joint thing. They, they make a declaration of war and, and that would probably trigger. Yeah, well, that, that yeah, clearly that would, would, would trigger enemy status, but I don't think it has to be a declaration of war. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think you could have, I mean, I think the Korean War and the Vietnam War, they, those were real wars, um, even without a declaration of war. I think if you were aiding the North Koreans or the North Vietnamese, that that um, could be treason. And I think currently, you know, the Taliban uh, are an enemy. They, you know, they, we had authorization of use of, of military force, which is pretty close to a declaration of war. Um, I think ISIS, um, is an enemy because we're, you know, actively fighting them uh, with our with our military, or at least we were until recently. Um, and so you don't have to have a declaration of war, but there still has to be sort of actual open hostilities. Let me ask you this. I don't know if anybody asked you this question, but during the Nixon era, or well, this is during Johnson, Nixon uh, was running for election, re-election, or no, he was running for election, I'm sorry. And he went to the... Um, and he was communicating through that one gal uh, to try and make sure that the, the the they didn't settle with peace with Johnson because he wanted the war to keep going so that he could win election. Was that treasonous in what he did there? Because I know Johnson was really pissed about it. When yeah, he I mean Johnson that. was Johnson said it was 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 treason. Yeah, and you know I think there's an argument that it was. I mean to, to the extent that he aided um, the North Vietnamese and acted with the intent to aid the North Vietnamese, it could have been uh, seen uh, as an act of, of treason. Um, you know, what would that, you know, once he won, I mean, it would have been his own justice department would have prosecuted it. And then, you know, would you have done it afterwards? I don't know, maybe the Ford pardon would have, would have covered it. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of the closest cases of an American mm-hmm. president. Well, I guess, well, I shouldn't say president because he wasn't president at the time. He was a candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time he did it, but but someone you know running for, for president coming quite close, uh, if not crossing uh, the treason line. That was quite extraordinary. When I listen to that story, I often wonder if Johnson would have publicized that and come out because Johnson kind of let it slide. Um, if Johnson would have come out and thrown that and thrown Nixon under the bus, what you know what what? what... Yeah, I mean it's huge. I mean because you think of that was actually a very close election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one one result of that was Nixon got four Supreme Court appointees. Yeah. In his, in his first term, and so you, you, if Johnson comes out with that, maybe that triggers the election over to Humphrey. Um, Supreme Court then looks totally different. You know, and all of American history changes mm-hmm. still very dramatically. And I don't remember if we were officially at a declaration of war with Vietnam, or we were running a. a a sort of covert war. I mean, okay. well, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't covert. I mean, everybody knew we were over there. Yeah. Um, the, uh, was covert. Yeah, I mean, we had the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, which you know authorized presidents to take all these military actions over there. And so, you know, I think that once you have the Gulf of Tonkin, it's it's very clear that it's a uh, yeah. uh, that it's um, you know that we are at, are at war. But we didn't. I mean, it was essentially I mean a civil war within Vietnam. So we were you know, defending the, the, the South Vietnamese against the North Vietnamese. And so technically we didn't declare war against Vietnam because arguably we were there to help. You know, the, the, what's I mean, the act that uh, General Flynn violated? And actually Reagan 
did the same thing with Iran sort of uh, a deal. They were trying to, you know, extend the Iraq war, make sure the hostages and not the Iraq war, the Iran war. Uh, and it really wasn't a war, actually, the, the Iran hostages. And they were trying to make sure they didn't release them before uh, he won the presidency. Uh, is it McGinsky McGinsky Act? I think the McGinsky Act is a, is deals with um, sanctions against Russia. Mm. Um, the one that has tended to come up is the Logan Act, which is an old ah. act from the, the late 1700s. Uh, basically, says you can't be sort of you know be freelancing foreign policy uh, for the United States in terms of you know interacting with foreign governments. And that's, I mean, that always comes up in situations like this. Um, it's never, I don't think, it's ever really been a successful prosecution under it. Um, and there's some questions, you know, to how far you can apply it sort of consistently with the First Amendment. Um, and then there's the question, well, you know, to what, what are you really authorized for the U.S. government or not? I mean, you, you could think about some of the stuff Jimmy Carter does um, on his own with, with other governments. I mean, does that technically violate the Logan Act? Um, you know, probably not. Um, so it, it's one of those things that often comes up, but it usually peters out and there's nothing comes of it. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, I've been quietly working on foreign policy with Fiji, and so hopefully that will be <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, should Robert E. Lee? This is an interesting question. Should Robert E. Lee and the soldiers he commanded have been charged with treason? This has been kind of topical because we've actually been, you know, discussing for the very first time, trying to clarify that hey, that that really was like an overthrow of of the U.S. government, and it really was the enemy, if if you from within, if you will. Yeah, I mean, the Civil War was the biggest instance of mass treason in our country's history. I mean, wow. the Confederate Army was levying war against the United States. I mean, that's just inarguable. I mean, it's a civil war, right? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> it was a war, as clear as it gets. Uh, and the attempt was, you know, to overthrow the United States government, create independent um, Confederate states. Um, so then the, the question, once the war was won, is, well, what do you what do you do? I mean, in theory, you could have said every single Confederate soldier goes on trial for treason. And, and execute it. Yeah. Um, but that, that would have been absolutely horrific. Um, yeah. And you know, very few countries even do that. At the end of a civil war, what you try to do is you patch things up um, and you, you, you welcome the losers back in and you don't just have a, you know, a parade of, of execution. So that was never very likely. Um, but it was a trickier problem what to do with the, the top leaders of the Confederacy. Um, so you had Robert E. Lee, who's the top general. Uh, well, when he surrendered to Grant, um, Grant said, you're basically free to go um, unmolested by U.S. authority. Uh, and so it, arguably as part of the terms of surrender was that Lee would not be prosecuted. Wow. Uh, so I think that allowed, it would have been hard to, to prosecute Lee under those, those circumstances. Um, so then the really tough and difficult case was Jefferson Davis, the Confederate, president of the Confederate States of America, because he would be the, the obvious one. If you're going to prosecute one person, it would be him. Uh, and you might say, well, that would be sort of a satisfying end to the war. You, you try that guy for treason, maybe even execute him, and, and we're done with it. Uh, so he's indicted um, for treason by the, by the Andrew Johnson mm. administration. Um, but the case ultimately fizzles out. Um, the, there were problems getting the case to trial. There were um, some adverse rulings uh, from actually the Chief Justice of the United States, Salmon Chase, um, who made this very convoluted argument that the 14th Amendment uh, prohibited uh, the trial of Jefferson Davis, really? uh, and it was set to go um, to the full Supreme Court for review, uh, at which point Johnson just threw in the towel and issued a, a blanket pardon uh, that included Jefferson Davis. Wow. Uh, and so he ultimately um, escaped and was never formally convicted 
uh, of treason. You know, this is one of these things that I love about history and a lot of the authors like yourself that we have on, because you look at these arcs of history and you're like, what if this had gone that way instead of this way? And you look at the conversation we're having now with all the, uh, you know, we're arguing over the Confederate flag. That's it. We seem to be taking that down and off of flags. And, and of course, pulling statues down is the new thing, I guess. Um, and And if they had been tried for treason, there would have been a more significant uh, well, they, there wouldn't have been statues built to them in the South, and we wouldn't be in some of the problems that we're in today uh, because we would have drawn a line by Mussolini at the end there <laughs> on the end of a rope. Well, uh, well maybe. I mean, it's, 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 hard. I mean, it's one of the problems with counterfactuals is that you can never know how it actually would play out. I mean, I do think we would, we would talk – during the Civil War, they talked about the Confederates as traitors all the time. That was mm-hmm. the term. We're, we're, we're going to suppress treason. Uh, now we tend to think of them, we say they're the rebels, right? Which is a little milder than the than, than traitor. Um, so if Davis had been hanged uh, for treason, I think it would, it would make the treason more salient. Um, but it's also not clear that they wouldn't have done statues of him anyway. Now he would have been a martyr, right? I mean, this was somebody yeah. you could say wasn't just killed on a battlefield. This was someone who was killed by the federal government, you know, three or four years after the war was over. Um, and that that might have made things potentially even even worse. Uh, you know, I didn't of, think of that. You know, That's brilliant. The South to the Union. So it's very hard to know. And I think that that was one of the concerns that the Union had with you know, with going forward um, with that type of thing. That's brilliant. I mean, I I mean, I mean you can think about it. Imagine for all the people who want Donald Trump to be tried for treason, and then imagine you know it's a capital crime if you want Donald Trump executed. Um, how would that affect his image going forward. I mean, I think for large numbers of his supporters uh, and maybe a lot of folks in the middle, that would make him a martyr, you know? Yeah. You know, and so you might not want to give that to people. The, you know, you, you, I never ever thought of that angle. You like open my whole head to like, yeah, he, he, he would be a martyr and maybe they still would be building things to him and maybe we'd have more. Who knows? This, this country is so crazy when you start <laughs> looking at the history. It's an amazing study to take and do. And you lead me to my next question for you. Since Trump's inauguration, there's been a complete list of people that the president, you know, the guy that you're getting calls from, this guy committing treason, he's been accusing everyone else of treason. Peter Strzok, of course, we mentioned earlier, uh, Lisa Page, uh, Andrew McCabe, Democrats. Uh, I think I'm on the list. I think he's tweeted about me. He's probably tweeted about you. We're, we're all just committing treason, according to him by now. Um, and, and I see this all the time on social media. They're like, the Democrats are committing treason. So uh, speak to that, if you would. Yeah, well, this is really one of the most extraordinary things about Trump's presidency. I mean, there's so many things that are that are just you know off the charts weird about him. You know, it's hard to pick one, um, but certainly this one, one stuck out to me. As the president of the United States accuses a, another American citizen of treason, um, that is about the most significant statement a president could possibly make. Because right? they're saying this person committed you know the highest crime known to the law. They betrayed the country. It's a capital crime. They potentially should be indicted, prosecuted, maybe even executed. Uh, and for a president of the United States to say that, that historically would have carried an enormous amount uh, of weight, uh, which is why you go back to history, you don't see presidents uh, just sort of tossing off uh, treason charges. Uh, and Trump does it, and it's now become so common that we don't even notice it. You know, it's just a blip in the news amongst all the other 
you know, stream of verbal diarrhea coming out of this man um, that we don't even notice it. Um, and we should, because it's a really horrific thing to say. Because what Trump is saying is not that his political opponents are wrong or that he disagrees with them or that they have bad priorities. Um, he's saying they are criminals. And unfortunately, way too many people take him at his word uh, and are convinced that people on the other side of the political divide are not just opponents, uh, but people who ought to die. Um, and you, know, you can't have a functioning democracy when people are going to be that polarized uh, and where every political disagreement becomes a, a matter of, of life and death and you know, literally treason potentially on the line. So it's absolutely uh, appalling um, the way the president has tossed this term around. Which is all the more reason that people should grab your book and and uh, really understand the true facts of of what are trees. In fact, I'm understanding that much more, especially the declaration of war feature of it. Um, how how closely is this to what other fascist the rise of fascist governments have done? The Mussolini's, the Nazis, uh, Venezuela, uh, doing a little bit of that. I think Chile. Um, the list probably goes on and on. Cuba and Castro's rising. Uh, how closely is this to sort of the fascist thing where you, you, you just start accusing the side of treason and, and threatening executions and maybe in the end you follow through? I mean, each, each historical moment is, is different. So it's, it's, it's hard to draw exact analogies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly we do know that one of the hallmarks of uh, politics leading to fascist type uh, regimes is a dehumanizing of uh, the opposition. Um, and, you know, calling them traitors is sort of a very close step uh, to, to getting you there. Um, I mean, I think what did Donald Trump refer to Kamala Harris as a monster the other day? Yeah. I mean, that's, again, sort of, you know, literally uh, dehumanizing. Um, so it is something that one has to keep an eye on. You, know, yeah. you, you just uh, you don't want to see a politics uh, that looks like this. I think this is really important why people should read your book and check it out because I see this all the time on social media. I see people, you know, claiming treason. Um, I see, I see Trumpers saying, uh, you know, he's broken the constitution or the, I've, I've even read people saying the rule of law is dead. And I'm like, it's not really, if the rule of law was dead, we'd be, you know, living in a Somalian 1990s sort of, uh, pirates of the Caribbean sort of, uh, uh, you know, it's still, it's still holding together. It might be loosening sometimes at the top for the oligarchy, but it's still there. It's still, the courts are still, the courts seem to be the only thing holding yeah. us together at this point but uh what what are some of the most important things or aspects that you you think people should really take from the book and and get into it and maybe they're going to learn from it um well the, the first thing i would i would hope and this is sort of what we've talked about a little bit already is just you know don't use this term flippantly mm-hmm. you know you don't use it impulsively um Uh, as you know you immediately disagree with somebody and you think they're the worst american ever you think this is a terrible idea they've done some awful thing and immediately jump from that uh to traitor uh just simply is uh is wrong right it's wrong legally but i think it's just also wrong as a matter of just kind of good political morality this is not the type of debate we want to have If, if people are making wrong decisions point point out why they're wrong you know, but adding this inflammatory term adds really nothing to the discussion. It doesn't persuade anybody. Um, it, so it doesn't contribute to you know, sort of rational debate about it. 
uh, and I'll mostly sort of, you know, maybe stir the pot and rile up people are already inclined to agree with it. Um, but that's not the type of public discussion uh, we ought to be having. Uh, and then I think the other thing I would tell people to take from the book just is that the history of American treason law is really fascinating. Um, you've got characters that start out with Benedict Arnold. Um, then you've got Aaron Burr, you know, former vice president of the United States, right? The murderer of Alexander Hamilton, who was tried for treason by Thomas Jefferson, um, whose vice president he was. I mean, that's an extraordinary uh, trial. Um, you've got cases arising out of the Fugitive Slave Act. You've got the Jefferson Davis trial. Um, you've got cases like, um, you know, Tokyo Rose and the radio broadcasters from World War II. Uh, you've got, um, you know, cases like Jane Fonda in, in North Vietnam, more recent uh -huh. cases like, you know, Edward Snowden, uh, where the issue has come up. Uh, and so it, it really is the story of America um, in, in many ways. And then if you think about our two biggest national events, the American Revolution, that's an act of treason against Great Britain. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the Civil War, of course, was an act of treason against uh, the United States. Um, so treason really is central uh, to our story and, and as to who we are. Uh, and and uh, you bring me to er, er, um, Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden, you know, a lot of people have, you know, very strong opinions on either side of him. In fact, recently the court, I believe uh, one of the courts at the Supreme Court uh, did came down, I think it's an appellate court, uh, did come down and say that the U.S. government was acting against the U.S. citizens in that case uh, of what he uh, opened up and showed they were doing. So the cases followed him, but I think I think the U.S. government is still after him. I don't think they're after him for treason, but uh, I think they're after him for some other technicalities of the law. Yeah, so he is, you know, charges with, you know, mishandling classified documents, and it seems, you know, pretty clear that that's what he did. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think he is legally liable uh, for that. Um, but yeah, a lot of people, you know, wanted to toss around the word traitor uh, mm -hmm. with Edward Snowden, and that was actually bipartisan. I pointed out in the book, you know, Diane Feinstein and Ted Cruz both agreed uh, Edward Snowden was uh, a traitor. Mm -hmm. um, but again, with a very narrow definition of treason, um, he's not. Um, mm -hmm. He may well be a criminal of some other sort, uh, but he's not uh, a traitor. And I know a lot of people have said that about the uh, the Oregon protesters, the Portland protesters, uh, especially during that time where we had the there was you know that huge run up of of uh, the uh, federal authorities coming in and like arresting people, and people are like it's treason. They're trying to overthrow the government and stuff like this. And I I still hear this like there's people still having this conversation on social media where somehow there's this uh, perception that our cities are burning, like every city every night, like uh, half the city's on fire. I guess. Uh, and there's, there's <laughs> being like these people are creating treason. You're like, oh my god! I and and I think what your book does it elevates uh, our dialogue to understand this concept a lot better. So we're not throwing the term around. You you use the term rational debate, which I'm like, tell us more about what that actually means because I've never heard of that lately. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a law. It's a law professor's fantasy that, that such a thing exists. But, you know. What's this reasonable debate that you speak of? Um, how is America different in its distinction uh, on this? Is there other countries that take this to a different level, or are we are we out there on, we're, on the we're, edge? We're, we're pretty out there. I mean, as far as I know, we're the only uh, country that defines constitution uh, treason quite so narrowly um, mm -hmm. in our constitution. Um, in most other countries, it's if it's not in the constitution, it's, it's it would be you know set by statute, and you know the, the legislature could always change it. Um, where ours is, is, is pretty fixed. Um, so that makes us different. Um, and I, in some ways you might say that doesn't 
hugely matter because Congress can always create other crimes um, to catch things that aren't treason. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, another good example of that is espionage. Um, so, you know, the Rosenbergs didn't commit treason, but they were executed for essentially national security violations nonetheless. And so uh, having these other crimes um, is, is a very useful backstop um, to our narrow treason law. And so you may say, well, then why does it even matter? It's just a question of names. If we call it treason versus we call it espionage, who cares? Um, but I think, you know, it does seem to matter because people really want things to be treason. I mean, people really, really want Donald Trump to be tried for treason. Uh, and I think Trump really wants you know, his opponents to be labeled for treason. There's something in that word that has a sort of a magic spell about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and so uh, I do think it's ultimately a good thing that it, that it is uh, limited because it tends to rouse passions um, in a way that you know, espionage or mishandling classified material or being an unregistered foreign agent just doesn't. You bring up a good point. I mean, uh, because it, it does get thrown around way too much. I mean, it's probably insane. There's probably something I could pull in a study of keywords of what's being talked about. Treason probably is like huge on social media or even right now. Um, but, uh, and you know, I, I probably overused the term. I was at McDonald's the other day and they undercooked my egg muffin <laughs> and I was yelling, I was screaming treason out front of the place. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, come to think of it, I think I wake up every morning and see tweets and start screaming tweets and treason. So I need to start choosing some be- better educated words on how things go. Well, you when, call it treason-y or treason-light or some light or something. This is treason-y. That's yeah. going to be my new hashtag. I think, Carlton, you just created a hashtag. It might trend today on Twitter. The uh, treason-y. Trump is treason-y. That's my new meme. Um, what was the thing that surprised you most in doing your research for the book and study on it? Um, well, I think what surprised me most, and this is probably true of any research project one does, is you think you know a subject pretty well, and then you really dig into it, uh, and you discover there's all this other stuff out there um, that you didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the execution during the Mexican-American War was a good example. I, I didn't know about that. Um, there were um, people prosecuted for treason against the state. I knew about um, two of those. Um, but there was another set of trials in West Virginia in the 1920s. Um, that I knew nothing about. And in the course of researching this book, I, I was able to come across that. Um, so there's, there's just a lot there. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a lot of fun um, because I, I think, you know, learning um, new things, particularly about a subject you, you think you know well, um, is, is really invigorating. Hopefully I've, I've caught most of it, but there's probably more out there uh, that, that I still don't know. Did any of the revolutionaries that uh, started the Boston Tea Party or in the signing of the Declaration get accused by treason of, of England? Yeah, so this was a, a big issue during the, the revolution. I mean, the, um, the English legal authorities said the Boston Tea Party was treason. Um, they said the Massachusetts Provincial Convention was treason, and they were preparing um, at least raise the possibility of sending the leaders uh, to England for trial. Uh, and the reason to do that was to get them away from a local jury um, so they could be tried uh, in London. And this provoked an enormous outcry uh, in the American colonies. That this was totally unacceptable, that this was not what treason was. This is not how you try uh, a case of treason. Uh, and then once the war started, and it was very clear that, that they were levying war against the king. Uh, and so um, what Britain ultimately did Um, was they were kind of stuck because the legal uh, responsibility would be, well, if you catch an American who's doing this, you should try them for treason. But if you did that and hang them, 
Well, George Washington told them, if you do that, I will retaliate and do the same thing. I'll hang an English person in our custody. Oh, wow. Uh, and so ultimately the British realized they couldn't actually try anyone for treason or they'd have this problem. And so they suspended the writ of habeas corpus with respect to all of these um, American Revolution cases and Americans that they, that they caught, they just basically held them as, as prisoners of war until uh, the end of the war. So no Americans were tried by Great Britain for treason during the American Revolution. Uh, but the states did try a number of people uh, for aiding Britain uh, wow. during the revolution. So those are the only treason trials that happened. And some of them actually took place in Independence Hall, right across the hallway from where the Declaration of Independence was adopted. That's amazing. You know, I, I, I see people that they'll, they'll spout on social media. They'll be like, those people in Portland are committing, you know, treason and they're, they're acting against the country and we shouldn't do violence. You shouldn't protest violence. And I'm like, have you ever heard the tea, Boston Tea Party like <laughs> started this country? It was an act of violence. It was a riot. It was a... It was a it was a act it was an act of treason I guess where maybe it was well we were not war I guess there there therein lies the dichotomy of of what we've been talking about anything more we need to know about your book and all that good stuff um just one thing one thing I would add um I guess I sort of mentioned it before with the West Virginia miners case is that treason isn't limited to um, treason against the United States mm. um, so states can. Um, potentially try treason cases. So if you try to overthrow a state government uh, by force and violence, you could possibly be charged with treason against that particular state. Oh, wow. Uh, so if we look at them, you know, these Michigan militia members who were, you know, recently indicted, um, they, their, their, their plan to kidnap the governor of Michigan, uh, apparently with the intent of trying to change Michigan's policies, uh, could be uh, an act of treason by levying war against the state of Michigan. Now, they didn't actually carry it out. It was just a conspiracy. Um, and historically, a conspiracy to levy war is not an actual act of treason. Um, you had to take, actually start carrying it out, and they didn't carry it out. So I don't think it could be, um, given what they did. But had they carried it out, um, that would have been a crime that Michigan might have thought about uh, charging. Does, do states usually have a treason uh, code on their, on their laws? Yeah, so um, not all states do. Uh, some states define it in their state constitution, but not in their criminal law. And then um, there are states that actually do have a state criminal statute um, against treason. And so it will say, you know, you know treason against, say, Michigan um, consists of living war against the state or adhering to its enemies, giving them aid and comfort. So usually tracking the, um, the federal uh, language. Wow. Note to self, before overthrowing California, check with state law. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. I've learned a ton of stuff, and I'm sure the book is going to get in and teach people a whole lot more about this and hopefully educate people because one of the biggest things we need is better education in this country. <laughs> people aren't throwing around terms and, you know, everyone's committed treason. I'm, you know, there's probably people that are going to hear this podcast and be, you know, call us treasonous because we're speaking out against uh, whatever, you know, I don't know. And clearly I'm still working on my treason case with McDonald's and the egg McMuffin. <laughs> so there's that. But uh, I think my dogs actually accuse me of treason every morning if they don't get their uh, dog treats. They, I get, I get a lot of uh, that going on. So there's that. Uh, <laughs> give us your plugs once again, uh, Carlton, where people can check out the book, order it, and find you online. Sure. Uh, my website, uh, www.carltonlarson.com, uh, and on Twitter, uh, at CarltonFWLarson. There you go. And our conversation today on Treason, a Citizen's Guide 
to the law. This gentleman knows his law like nobody's business, so you definitely want to check it out and uh, educate yourself. This is a really important time. I mean, this is the first year that I actually sat down and read the Constitution. I read the Madison Papers. I've been reading all about the importance of law, the rule of law, and I encourage everybody to do that because you need. we need to understand what's going on in this country so we can have better conversations, we can have a better education, we can have a better appreciation for what is this uh, this uh, a very young republic, very young uh, government, and and uh, you know, like Ben Franklin said, uh, you have a republic as long as you can keep it. It's very important we keep it. And I'm really heartened by what I'm seeing uh, by the voters that are showing up. It seems like voting and caring about voting is really huge. In fact, I think I read one of the states has a 96 percent. Uh, amount of the people that have registered to vote or something like that. What do you think about the, the voting we're seeing, uh, people showing up here? Yeah, it, it's great. I mean, this is, um, you know, how we express ourselves uh, in our uh, in a democracy. Ideally, you know, we, we do ballots and not bullets and voting and not treason. So, you know, this is the way to do it. Hopefully it ends well. There you go. So thanks to uh, Carlton for being on the show. We certainly appreciate it, Carlton. Thank you very much. Sure, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. There you go. Uh, to my audience, be sure to see the video version of this. You can go to youtube.com for just Chris Voss. Hit that bell notification button. Check out that new technology, the video. You can even get on mobile phones, I hear. It's a rumor, I think. Uh, you can go to the ECVPN, refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives, dogs, cats. Get everybody watching the show and all that good stuff. It's been exploding lately. It's crazy. All the all the great authors we've had on have been brilliant. Uh, also go to goodreads.com uh, for just Chris Voss. You can follow me over there and check that out. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.